Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. The only sense I have is a sense of relief that we're finally going to try to find the true origins of this virus. And I think all the evidence points towards those labs in Wuhan. And if we find out that's the origins of this virus, then China really needs to pay. So that's Senator Tom Cotton, who's been pushing since the very beginning that, hey, China's responsible for this and they're covering it up. He was dismissed as a conspiracy nut um, back in the day, and uh, his comments weren't allowed on Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. So he was dismissed as a conspiracy nut, not like on the fringes of like the nation or Mother Jones, but in the most prominent publications in America. No, he's like a QAnon nut job because he believed it came out of that lab there. This is Elizabeth Palmer with CBS reporting on the story. Meanwhile, the investigation ordered by President Biden has refocused attention on the origin of the virus. Did it come from animals, either in nature or in one of China's so-called wet markets, or from Wuhan's Institute of Virology, where research on bat virus mutations took place. The Chinese have refused access to the lab or its records and called the idea that COVID came from a leak there a political conspiracy. The United States does not care about facts and truth at all, nor is it interested in serious scientific tracing. But an American intelligence report says three Wuhan lab workers fell ill with COVID-like symptoms back in November 2019, a month before the first confirmed case was reported. How about what that Chinese official said? Oh, yeah. They are an evil, evil country that is about to be the biggest economy in the world. And they have entire bureaus of people who study American politics and figure out how best to use our own infighting against us to undermine any sort of anti-China narrative. Ross Duthat of the New York Times uh, writing on why it's important to figure out where the virus came from and when. There's a pretty big difference between a world where the Chinese regime can say, we weren't responsible for COVID, but we crushed the virus and the West did not because we were strong and they were decadent. And a world where this was basically their Chernobyl, except their incompetence and cover-up sicken not just one of their own clients, but also the entire globe. I would agree. Yeah. I think it matters to call them out. And by the way, it's not that uncommon for these leaks uh, anywhere in the world, and certainly in China, according to Scott Gottlieb on Face the Nation. These kinds of lab leaks happen all the time, uh, actually. Even here in the United States, we've had mishaps. And in China, the last six known outbreaks of SARS-1 have been out of labs, including the last known outbreak, which was a pretty um, extensive outbreak that China initially wouldn't disclose that it came out of lab. It was only for the, it was only disclosed finally by some journalists who were able to trace that outbreak back to a laboratory. So it's important to understand what the possibility is that this came out of a lab so we could focus more international attention on trying to get better uh, inventories around these labs, what they're doing, better security, make sure they're properly built. How am how as the world just sharing this now? Our media is so bad at their job. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. so focused on crap and divisive crap. And, you know, during the whole Trump era, it was all Trump this and that. How are we just learning now that the last half dozen SARS outbreaks came out of labs, including the worst one, and they tried to cover it up? <sighs> And it was only through, you know, research and digging that we figured out, no, you're responsible for this. How are we just hearing this now? Because Trump said it came out of a lab. 
people were all pointed in one direction. Trump's a liar. Trump's QAnon. Trump's bad. And weren't even interested at all looking at the story. Right. It's absolutely astounding what human beings are capable of. The the level of stupidity and knee-jerk reactions and the rest of it. So over and over again, China has let dangerous viruses leak out of their labs and tried to cover it up. And yet it's a conspiracy theory if you suggest it happened again. Because Trump said it. You know, I probably ought to let it go and probably ought to just get on board and be a fan of the um, of the investigation. But at this point, China has closed off the crime scene for a year. They have destroyed all of the records. They have either killed or silenced one way or the other anybody who could possibly shed any light on what happened. And they announced last week they're no longer cooperating in any investigations. They say the right. investigations have been done. We're no longer cooperating at all. The Biden administration has something. I think, that made them change their mind overnight how they felt about this and announced last week that they're doing their own internal private investigation into this and will announce the results in 90 days. I don't know why it has to take 90 days, but in 90 days. Yeah, I have a feeling it was probably not some giant individual revelation, but kind of an accumulation of more and more circumstantial evidence, which is at this point mountainous, and they can sense the eroding of the idiotic, knee-jerk, anti-Trump stuff, so they feel like, hey, you know, this is clearly the truth, and I think we can go ahead and say the truth now. It's, uh, as you said earlier, the one thing the Chinese bad fever, the whole COVID thing is illustrated, is how dumb humanity is. And prone to irrational activity. Speaking of the bat fever, some good news from Scott Gottlieb and some supporting information on uh, the so-called breakthrough cases. Uh, people who have gotten inoculated then get the vid anyway. It's, it's actually quite good news. And the uh, the Great Portlandia experiment, which, uh, which hurts my heart because I love Portland. Um, but the progressive policies uh, and, and what they have wrought in Portland, so stay tuned for that. But crime is surging. I'm not going to try to scare you again. We don't do that, but... Simply safe is a good idea. Having that home security system so everybody feels tucked in and safe and secure. And talk to the folks in your family. Maybe you're fine, but maybe they don't feel so safe. Simply safe is for you. Simply safe has an award winning system that has all the technology, bells and whistles that you expect these days, but the people at Simply Safe really take it to the next level. They are there around the clock anytime you need them. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong today. It's going to take you a couple of clicks on the keyboard to, to, you know, get the system that's right for your home. Then it's going to come to you in about a week. It's going to take you 30 minutes to set up. And this is award-winning security. Yep, you customize it to your home, and it's easy to do. Go to simplysafecom slash Armstrong. You will get a free security camera for using that code, and these are really good cameras, too. simplysafecom slash Armstrong. 60-day risk-free trial. Nothing to lose. simplysafecom slash Armstrong. Hey, why don't we, uh, you know, I'll, I'm talking, talking, talking. It hurts my throat. Why don't we let Scott Gottlieb do the uh, heavy lifting in clip 71 near Sean Boy? So we think that this virus probably sits somewhere in between seasonal coronaviruses and SARS-1, which you referenced. The immunity you got from SARS-1 was very durable, lasted many years. Some people still have immunity from it. This immunity we get from seasonal coronaviruses doesn't last long. It lasts a year. We think that the immunity that's induced here is probably going to last longer than seasonal coronavirus, probably not as long as SARS-1. But there's different correlates for immunity. So you could still have T-cells that are programmed to attack this virus and memory B-cells that will act 
reactivate when they come in contact with the virus again. But you've lost a lot of your neutralizing antibodies, which means you might be prone to reinfection, but you'll be protected against getting severe disease. So it, it, the question is what kind of immunity you want to induce. And if we want to protect vulnerable, vulnerable people from even getting infected in the first place, you want to maintain a sufficient number of neutralizing antibodies. And to do that, you might need to provide booster shots um, on some kind of semi-regular basis or at least one round of booster shots this fall. But that doesn't mean that those individuals won't have T cells and B cells that are programmed to attack this virus that will give them some residual protection from getting really sick. So there's different correlates of immunity that we look at. Right now, I'm just talking about levels of neutralizing antibodies, which protect against getting infected in the first place. If we were a science show, I'd like to do a deep dive on this because I find it so interesting. But the uh, I guess it was the Atlantic was reporting on these so-called breakthrough cases. You got the vaccine or you had the vid and then by golly, you test positive again. These rare breakthroughs, though, they write, uh, are no cause for alarm. For starters, they're fundamentally different from the infections we dealt with during the pre-mass vaccination era. The people who experience them are getting less sick for shorter periods of time. They are harboring less of the coronavirus in them and spreading fewer particles to others. Breakthroughs are also expected, even unextraordinary. They'll be with us for as long as the coronavirus is, and experts are now grappling with questions about when and how often these cases should be tracked. And they they hit something that I found was kind of interesting. Uh, testing too often can sometimes use as much cause as much damage as testing too little. Interesting. Yeah, because they 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 come up with trivial cases where where the COVID, I mean, it gets in skin deep and your body just boots it out. And it's just of no significance epidemiologically. Um, but you you register as a positive case, everybody freaks out, it's a breakthrough case. He was vaccinated, now he's got the vid again. But again, medically speaking, it's of, of little significance. So, uh, really, so far, all the news about um, the longevity of the vaccine immunity and the rest of it is pretty good. I mean, it's not like lifelong, which would be good, but if I have to get jabbed once a year, once every couple of years, to not die of the Chinese bat fever, okay, fine, fair enough, I'm in. By the way, last week while we were gone, the Senate voted unanimously, which doesn't happen much in the modern American political system, to pass Senator Josh Hawley's bill that would require the Director of National Intelligence to declassify any and all information that the government has about links between the Wuhan Institute of Virology and the COVID's origins. Wow. Now, that's got to go to the House, and, and, and then obviously President Biden would have to sign it for it to become a law, but the Senate voted 100 nothing to pass that. Wow. I am really heartened to hear that. Yeah. Josh Hawley's a complicated character. Yeah, I'd say. Yeah, uh, but that's that's great. And with all due resentment to social media and the mainstream media for calling the idea of a lab leak a conspiracy theory, which was idiotic from the beginning, <clears throat> for reasons which we have described, um, I think the fact that we are all coming together to recognize the evil of the Chinese regime, the, the damage they have wrought, and the need to make that clear. Ross Duthat's point about this being their Chernobyl, this being a stunning indictment of the the the, uh, the rottenness of their system is critically important. Maybe like for the next five hundred years of human history, right. this might be the question, the pivot point. And I don't think I'm I'm being hyperbolic. No, here. I don't think so either. Um, the NBA has a problem with fans throwing things and running on the court all of a sudden out of nowhere. Maybe we'll talk about that coming up. Uh, yep, and Portland has a problem with, well, everything. One of the great cities in America has poisoned itself, and we'll bring you the details. Don't go away. Armstrong and Getty. 
The Armstrong and Getty Show. Get 11. He's got a double-double tonight. Oh, my goodness. What Someone is was going trying on? to go out on the floor. And a diving tackle by the security. With 3.40 to go here in the third. Redskins better look into hiring that man right there. <laughs> what a tackle there by the security. Well, and look how far the guy had to run. And quickly he is off the floor. And great job by the security in Washington. Well, we've seen some ugly incidents the last few playoff games. And I applaud that. Well, it's quite a tackle. I just watched it on the TV. And then another game, somebody threw a water bottle. Is there more? Because I heard, what's going on at NBA games? Is that the only two things? Or is it like a... Gosh, we turned to correspondent Sean as the NBA is dead to me. Sean? Uh, so uh, there was a different incident of a pl- uh, fan throwing popcorn on a player as he walked off the court, uh, in addition to the water ball, uh, water bottle being thrown at a player as he walked off the court. I I saw, I think it was a minor league game, so I don't even know if this mm-hmm. rises to the same level, but somebody rushed the field at a minor league baseball game. Okay. Yeah. Uh, idiots. Got to tase them. Three is not a trend, I think, that means anything has changed. So there you go. You got to tase them, strap them to the backstop. Foul ball hits you. <laughs> Either lifetime punishment. lifetime ban or five minutes in the octagon with the professional athlete you threw something yeah, at. Yeah, no kidding. I've always wow. thought that is so weak. Uh, going after players when you know that they're, they've got all kinds of incentives to not do anything. Right, it's like the drunk chick who starts slugging guys, yeah, thinking, right, exactly. well, nobody will ever hit me back. Yeah, well. So, uh, speaking of lawlessness, the theme, I guess, emerging is the mainstream media slowly catching on to things we've been telling you for one to five years, which were clearly true, obviously awful, and and needing to be dealt with, but if there was some sort of... Trump influence where he was in favor of something else, the Washington Post, for instance, would willfully ignore that which was plainly in front of them. For instance, the the, the crumbling of Portland, the degeneration of Portland, Oregon, one of my favorite places in the world, for reasons I won't bore you with, but I just love Portland in so many ways. I've spent so much time there and had great time, just music and art and and scenery and, you know, the rest of it. But it's had this long streak of, of liberalism, Portlandia. You know, watch that, that hilarious Fred Armisen uh, show. It's got to be somewhere on the, uh, you know, pay-per-view somewhere. Um, but uh, liberalism and anarchy. And, and the article actually talks about a, a related issue, which is crime, skyrocketing crime. And they open with Portland as a white city, overwhelmingly so. African-Americans account for just 6% of the population. But it is black people. Uh, and they mentioned the specific uh, gentlemen who is, are dying at near historic rates and filing church, filling churches with grief. Is it the cops mowing them down? No, of course not. It's not. But here's the father of two young boys, became the city's 30th homicide victim this year. That's five times the number recorded during the same period in 2020. A frightening pace that could see more slayings in Portland by the end of the year than in the past four decades. Wow, that's amazing. And as an activist said, this is not how the year following George Floyd's murder was supposed to end. Uh, he told Murners that Jalan, which was this uh, victim's uh, name, Jalan didn't die. He was killed. His life was taken. 
And after months of social justice activism that made Portland a vivid, sometimes violent focal point for a nation debating the same issues around cops and reform, et cetera, et cetera, the movement here is splintered into bickering groups at odds over tactics, goals, and an overall direction for how to make the city safer, with the police force still at the debate's bitter center. And they, they cite uh, Oakland, California, Berkeley, California, L.A., all sorts of cities trying to reimagine policing or defund the police or tell the police to, to, to back down and the rest of it. And it's been met with an explosion in old what they call old school style of gun violence, reminiscent of the tit for tat cycle of deadly reprisals almost always among young men of color. Through April, 348 shootings, more than double those recorded over the first four months of last year. And then they move on to the way the anarchists, and we have been telling you this now for years, the so-called social justice demonstrations are often, at the beginning, social justice demonstrations, but then Antifa and Black Bloc, which do exist, by the way, they come in and they turn them into anarchist demonstrations. And they say there's always been a historical strain of violent independence in some of its residents. How do you like that? Violent anarchists being described as uh, independence in some of its uh, residents. And uh, they get into Ted Wheeler, the black police chief, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And how everybody's frustrated that now the anarchists are smashing and burning down black-owned businesses, boys and girls clubs, churches, public libraries, the rest of it. More on the anarchy in Portland coming up. Don't go away. Wish you got more national attention. Oh, yeah. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. By the way, some breaking news this morning. The CDC is closely tracking the first human bird flu case in China, the new H1ON3. They got a new bird flu in China, first human uh, transmission, so the White House is trying to keep an eye on that. But uh, Does somebody get it from a pet store or a wet market or something? I don't know. I've ignored these for years because they always turned into nothing. But having just lived through what we all lived through, obviously I, like you, am a little concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is kind of funny. Speaking of Portland, which we were and are about to again, somebody screen captioning, capturing a column from the New York Times last year, last July. Help me find Trump's anarchists in Portland, anarchists in quotes. The president has his politically driven narrative, and then there's reality. The point of that being, obviously, wow. that there, were no, there are no anarchists in Portland, and Trump is making that up for political gains. They, they contrast that headline from a year ago with a headline this past weekend in the Washington Post. Anarchists and an increase in violent crime hijack Portland's social justice movement. Oh, so there are anarchists. It turns wow, out. how funny. They were a Trump fantasy only a few months ago. When Trump? you could see them pl- plainly smashing up downtown Portland. Love him or hate him, Trump distorted so many things because he his his presence was so powerful. Yeah. It distorted so many things. God, and you got to be more grown up than that. No if kidding. If you see anarchy, call it anarchy, whether Trump did or not. Who cares what yeah. Trump thought of it? So like I said earlier, there's got to be a term for that, where you are so vehemently against somebody, you deny everything they say, even if it is plainly the truth. That is a strange sort of crazy. But boy, did we witness it a lot. 
Oh, hey, before we get into the Portland thing, because we got just a couple more minutes, and it's super interesting. Trust me on that. But I was reminded by one of our beloved listeners, and I wish I recalled who, because I appreciated the reminder. It was one year ago, one year ago this very weekend, that last year's clip of the year emerged. Sean, if you would. It sounds like from your experience, you see someone actually walking away with a cheesecake there after the cheesecake factory was looted. Unclear where they may have gotten that, but... (laughs) <laughs> that was during the Seattle riots, which never occurred, because there are no anarchists there either, if Trump says there are. A man like walking one... away with a cheesecake. Yes, play it again what? in case you didn't yes. catch what's happening here. <laughs> it sounds like from your experience, you see someone actually walking away with a cheesecake there after the cheesecake factory was looted. Unclear where they may have gotten that, but... Is that yeah, the dumbest... probably from, I don't know, the Boeing plant. <laughs> Is that the dumbest thing anybody's ever said? <laughs> Dummy! Last year's clip of the year. <laughs> but just uh, first of all, she approaches the as you can see, someone walking with a cheesecake. Like that's a common thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> although the, the, she's got that newswoman tone, as if then there's a man carrying a severed human head. There's a man carrying a cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! After the cheesecake factory was looted, unclear where he may have gotten it. <laughs> Oh, that reminds me. If I'm Matt, loading the cheesecake factory, you know I'm what? Walking I, out with a cheesecake. I'm I'm tempted to to God, tangent on a tangent, but Matt Taibbi giving the the mainstream. Uh, not, I've decided not to call him that. The liberal lemming media giving that. Now nah, that's too partisan. The drive-by media. I think Rush Limbaugh may have gotten it right. But Matt Taibbi, giving them a kicking like it's a 65-yard field goal. Just fantastic. Um, and I just, I, ah, there's so much good stuff here. Yeah, all right, we'll get to it in a couple of minutes. It's so good. But anyway, getting back to Portland, where they're authorized to have a 1,001 sworn officers, okay? Hundreds of nights of violence in a row, smashing, uh, vandalism, fires, anarchy, black, black, Antifa committing assault and battery, while the, while the lamestream media pretended it wasn't happening because Trump said it was happening. So, of course, they had to ignore it. And then the whole defund the police lunacy well they're authorized to have a thousand and one sworn officers right now they have barely 900 because they can't hire anybody because of the lack of support and funding for the police right now part of it is budget problems uh, from the covid but most of it's if you've got a choice of working in portland or working in a suburb you're going to grab a job in the suburb no matter what the pay is because portland's just gotten so crazy but well, it's, they're having a hard time hiring cops all over the country True uh, in our current climate, and um, my brother, I just found this out. My other brother, who wasn't with uh, us on this vacation with uh, Grandma and Grandpa, my other brother, who had a job where he was carrying a gun, and he's out of the military now, and he just took a new job where he doesn't carry a gun. He said, "I don't want a job where I carry a weapon anymore, just because you can end up in a situation where all of a sudden you're, you know, a household name." Oh yeah. And and they're having trouble the, the hot record retirements across the country for people who carry guns, you know, and the and various kinds of jobs, police work and having a really hard time hiring people. Right. Cuz right. you could you could end up a household name out of nowhere. Right, having done nothing wrong. And having of done nothing wrong or God help you if you make a mistake. Mhm. 
Mm-hmm. So they mentioned that the uh, city council last year cut $15 million out of the effort to defund the police and shift resources to other agencies that might be able to handle nonviolent calls more effectively, which is not a terrible idea. But is there really $15 million worth of fat in the police department? Apparently not in Portland. Or should you find that money somewhere else? Because there's plenty of fat in the social programs. I can guarantee that. Mm. But one of the most notable things that they did. (laughs) That's right. Thank you, sir. One of the most notable things they did, of all things, is they disbanded a unit last July that focused specifically on gun violence. That was designed to make the agency less reactive. They don't answer calls. They get into the neighborhood. They tune into gang and gun-related rivalries and who's mad at who. And they intercene the rest of it. But no, no. They disbanded that unit because they didn't like the look of it. And now shootings and deaths and murder are just skyrocketing. And and meanwhile, even the Washington Post had to admit that, yeah, there's a big anarchist movement in in Portland that is now corrupting the activist movement. Because I might disagree with some of the Black Lives Matter folks. Um, what they think are the cures for society's ills. But uh, most of them are actually decent folks. Um, a lot of the so-called protesters in Portland. But then the anarchists come in. They smash. They burn. They loot. They, and, including black-owned businesses. And just, just take a crap on the city. And America's media says, oh, no, those are uh, civil rights protesters ignoring the real problem. Well, you know, those birds are coming home to roost, as we've been trying to tell Ted Wheeler, the mayor, for years now. Those birds are going to come home to roost. And, oh, actually, there's one. That's right. I knew there was one more thing I wanted to mention. The DA, whose name is Mike Schmidt, not the power-hitting Philadelphia Philly star of the 70s, different dude. Um, but he at one point said, all right, first time offenders who just interfere with police, that's a, a frequent charge. And when protests get crazy, we're not going to prosecute you. Well, word got around, Hey, the DA isn't prosecuting any crimes in riots. And so they had lots more riots and a lot more damage. And now he's scrambling to say, no, 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 no. It was just that one little charge. It's first time offenders with no, no, sir, Mr. Schmidt. You announced that you were permitting lawlessness. What did you get? Lawlessness. I would elaborate, but unless you're like a dog or a four-year-old, I don't think I need to. (laughs) The birds came home to roost. Yeah. And uh, this is the stat of the day we've mentioned a couple of times. National poll, three-quarters of Americans believe crime is up. From uh, nationally, from a year ago. From a year ago? Three quarters of Americans feel like crime is up in this country from a year ago. In your own local area, 54%. So a majority of people feel like crime is worse where they live than it was a year ago. Three quarters believe it is uh, around the country. That's going to be a major political issue. That's why they're setting records every single month with uh, people buying guns, including lots of people that have never owned guns in their lives. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking about justice, real justice, because I happen to read a handful of things over the extended weekend about wrongfully convicted people, folks who spent uh, years and years in jail for crimes they didn't commit, that sort of thing. And and uh, and the focus often is on uh, black people who've had that fate. Um, and I don't care what you look like. It's an awful, awful fate. And, uh, you know, thinking about the Biden proposed budget and the plan he's announced somehow related to the Tulsa race uh, riot slash massacre of 100 years ago. 
What nobody ever says, and these are two closely related thoughts, what nobody ever says as they're announcing these grand trillion-dollar initiatives is, here's how we're going to track if it's successful. Here's how we're going to track if it achieves its stated goals. And, folks, if it doesn't, we will end it. Have you ever heard anything even approaching that in your life? I haven't. And then here's the related thought. You really wanted to do some good in criminal justice. We would have a robust, fully funded public defender system. I mean, it would be good. You would have a good lawyer to make sure the government could not put you in a cage unless you were good and guilty. But you never hear anything like, let's take all the wasted money from these bloated, redundant, decades old, have never done a lick of good program. Let's take the money from them and have a robust public defender system. Have you ever heard something like that proposed? I mean, hell, I'm practically a progressive over here. I think that's an important thing. That's a critical goal, but nobody nobody cares. Nobody talks about it. It's enough to make you nuts. So maybe you are going nuts. Maybe you work for Amazon and you're feeling stressed. They've got a new way to deal with their stressed employees at Amazon. And speaking of cops, they thought they had all the telltale signs of a pot farm. People coming and going at odd hours, using a lot of electricity in that building. What could be going on? What was going on will shock you. The Armstrong and Getty Show. With Amazon, I wanted to provide a place that's quiet that people could go and focus on their mental and emotional well-being. The Zen Booth is an interactive kiosk where you can navigate through a library of mental health and mindful practices to recharge that internal battery. All right, so Amazon... What Jeff Bezos, Bezos said, he wants his company to become Earth's best employer and Earth's safest place to work, has now installed Amazon Rooms, which you just heard described there, phone booth-sized structures containing a chair and a screen where you can scroll through a computer menu of self-help crap. Nothing makes me more calm and relaxed than locking myself into a tiny little box. Videos of the booth posted by Amazon drew ridicule on social media. Oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) With commentators saying the move was beyond parody and calling the kiosks cry closets and (laughs) scream boxes. (laughs) Excuse me, I need to go into the scream box. Ah! (laughs) I have had one close relative work for Amazon, as they say in Britain, and found the pace brutal. The production demands at the distribution centers are uh, just uh, absolutely brutal. Well, they, became, they plan to become Earth's best employer, Joe. Uh, I plan to become an elephant, a full-grown bull elephant. Please. Word, the talk um, is cheap there, Jeff, and you got plenty of money. Cops expecting a pot farm found something else, so uh, they're keeping an eye on this building using ridiculous amounts of energy. So that's clearly a pot farm. People coming and going all hours uh, of the day and lettuce, yep. They're growing Jazz pot cabbage. Of <laughs> yes. <laughs> the evil weed. So the police bust in and find that they were running around 100 commuters, computers to mine Bitcoin. I have oh. no idea what that means. But they yeah, uncovered just... an illegal Bitcoin mine. An illegal Bitcoin mine. 
Wow. Yeah, you just you crunch numbers, zillions and zillions of numbers all day long, and somehow that gets you a Bitcoin once every six months. You are, you are verifying transactions on the blockchain as a thank you to the transaction that you are verifying. Part of that transaction gets siphoned off into your account. That's essentially what mining is. Yeah. You're, you're, it's a transaction fee for verifying that this transaction took place. You do that through very powerful computers that use a lot of energy. And, yeah, exactly. You suck down enormous amounts of uh, power. Interesting. And of note that the the energy use outside of purchasing the actual computer, your only output cost for mining cryptocurrencies is the energy you use. So if you're stealing the energy, you're reducing a big part of of what your cost is for mining. Okay, okay. so that's why it'd be illegal. Or you'd want to do it illegally because that's your biggest cost. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that the, the, the green crowd, the lefty crowd, hasn't come out more forcefully against Bitcoin. They actually have to some extent. I've heard I, a fair I saw, amount about it. I saw Elon it, yeah. Musk say something about it, but I, I don't know. I haven't seen any giant protests or anything or anybody yeah. giving an Oscar speech or that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So on a uh, totally different topic, Matt Taibbi doing more great writing. One of the truth tellers of our time. Don't always agree with him, but I respect his uh, his thinking. Uh, and he is a, a classical liberal, but he writes uh, a fair amount about the media, too, and it's incredible phoniness and hypocrisy. And he said, among other things, unfortunately, over the course of the last five years in particular, as the commercial media has experienced a precipitous drop in the public trust levels, many organizations have chosen to trumpet fact-checking programs as a way of advertising a dedication to truth. Fact-checking has furthermore become part of the moral clarity argument. Are you familiar with this? Which claims a phony objectivity standard once forced news companies to always include gestures to a perpetually wrong other side, making truth a casualty to false fairness. Here's how it works. If, 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 for instance, well, he uses a Christine Amanpour uh, example in Bosnia, but the idea is objectivity doesn't mean giving equal time to Republicans because everybody knows they're always wrong and they're evil. So we're not even going to quote Tom Cotton explaining why a, a policy is a bad idea because everybody knows he's bad. And so they don't even, you know, quote the other side's objections. Hmm. Um, it's a new argument um, that, that a lot of journalists are, are giving. But here's the part that I love about Taibbi. And his writing. But objectivity was never about giving equal time and weight to both sides. It's just an admission that the news business is a high-speed operation whose top decision makers are working from a knowledge level of near zero about most things. (laughs) At best, just making an honest effort at hitting the moving target at truth. Of truth at best. Like fact-checking itself, the on the one hand and on the other hand format is just a defense mechanism. These people say X, these people say Y. And because the jabbering mannequins we have reading off our teleprompters actually know Jack, we'll let the passage of time sort out the difficult bits. So what he's saying is the reason you quote the, the Democrats and the Republicans is it's an admission. You don't know freaking anything about what you're talking about. And it's it's an act of of uh, uh, what's the what's the term I'm, I'm looking for? It's just uh, uh, admitting some level of, of modesty of uh, why can't I come up with the term? Because I'm old. Um, 
But anyway, uh, da, 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 da. the public used to appreciate the humility of that approach. Humility, that's the word I'm looking for. I should have kept reading. Uh, but what they get from us more uh, often now are sanctimonious speeches about how reporters are intrepid seekers of truth who sleep next to God and ga- gobble amphetamines so they can stay awake all night defending democracy from misinformation. But once you get past the names, dates, and whether the sky that day was blue or cloudy, the worst kind of misinformation in journalism is to be too sure about anything. Mm. That's especially when dealing with complex technical issues, and even more especially when official sources seem invested in eliminating discussions of alternative scenarios of those issues. I will point out that this rather long column begins with a discussion of the idea of a lab leak was squashed by the mainstream media Last year, the COVID-19 thing, obviously, and how he says from the start, the press mostly mishandled COVID-19 reporting. Part of this was because nearly all of the critical issues, mask use, lockdowns, viability of vaccine programs, and so on, not to mention lab leaks, were marketed by news companies as culture war narratives. And a related problem had to do with the news companies using the misguided notion that the news is an exact science to promote the worst misconception that science is an exact science. Right. This led to absurd spectacles like news agencies trying to cover up or denounce as falsehood the natural reality that officials had evolving views on things like the efficacy of ventilators or mask uses. Right. But I love that. It just saying X said this, Y said that is is humility. It's recognizing we drive by, we glance, we write. We don't actually know jack about what we're writing about. Have you Thanks. considered being good at your jobs? Thank you, Matt Taibbi. God bless you, or Gaia, or Mother Earth, or the great cosmos, or, or whatever you worship, Matt. I'd never even heard of a Brazilian steak restaurant, among other things we're going to talk about coming up. Armstrong and Getty.